we recognize the unique qualities of the women in our lives, I wanted to address what I consider a growing prejudice uh, in our culture, and it's a prejudice uh, against Christianity, actually, and it's related to women. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think it's something that concerns me greatly, and I thought, actually, I, I wasn't planning on the preaching a Mother's Day sermon, but this just has really been on my heart and mind a lot, a lot lately, and so I wanted to address it. Uh, this prejudice has been coming out of this idea that, and, and it's unfounded, and of course it's unwarranted, and uh, it, it's based on all kinds of assumption. Um, and it's, and it's based on, on, on a historic view of how women have been treated in the church and in culture. And, and, and I don't want anybody to get me wrong. <laughs> I'm keenly aware of the fact that um, there have been horrific, perverse, unthinkable, uh, intolerable, unjust treatment of women that has been perpetrated in the name of Christianity. I, I understand that. However, I want to suggest this morning, emphatically, that it is in spite of Scripture that people have used this idea that Christianity somehow subjugates women. This is sort of what is circling around out there in the ether land. But one of the one of the most watched and ex people are really excited about television series uh, right now is um, the retelling of Margaret Atwood's Atwood, sorry. Um, her highly acclaimed novel, The Handmaid's Tale. Now, I, I want to confess, I've not read it. Um, uh, it's very explicit, so I don't want to read it. However, I have researched it, and I have... Uh, I've listened to interviews with Margaret Atwood, and I know quite a bit about it. But it, it's, it's the story of a dystopian near-future Christian fundamentalist regime that has replaced the U.S. government. I'll say that again. It's, it's the story of a dystopian near-future Christian fundamentalist regime that has um, used Scripture to put women in their place. And this is a highly popular series on TV right now. Um, the Handmaid's Tale. And it's based on her 1985 novel. Um, in an interview with Margaret Atwood that I heard this week, she and claims that the cast, and with her oversight, see a very clear correlation between Gilead, which is this regime that subjugates women, um, and Donald Trump's America. 
Now, an informed person who knows Scripture might look at this with some mild curiosity and say, oh, that's so silly. But for the millions of people that are watching this series on television and who don't know Scripture and have heard about the treatment of women within the church and within our culture that has been perpetrated by people who are justifying it through Scripture, they might be totally taken in by the concept that Christianity is anti-women. And that gravely concerns me. Because I believe that Christianity is the best thing that ever happened to women. And so, I want to address this issue, rising issue in our culture, which is associating Christianity with a very low view of women. And uh, I hope it'll be an encouragement to the women that are here today. That's my intent, anyways. Here's a scripture that would be used out of context for the purposes of justifying the attitude that Christianity is not kind to women. It's from 1 Timothy 2. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over men. She must be quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Just the sort of thing you wanted to hear this morning as you came to your Mother's Day service. <laughs> Gets better. Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husband. No, sir. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. So these scriptures that are taken totally out of, totally out of context and in isolation, without the benefit of the broader view of scripture, are what I would call radioactive in our culture. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to go near those scriptures, right? And as a pastor, it's like suicide to preach on. <laughs> so let's set the record straight. <laughs> let's set it straight. First of all, I want to just present some ideas of God's view of women. Number one. Right from the beginning, Scripture says, Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. They are equal image bearers, which means that both are made in the image of God, and therefore are equal in that, which is not a small thing. Secondly, God gave man a role to play. He said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He said that to man, which is mankind, which is men and women. Which is to say that there's no talk here about men being more capable than women. Or being smarter or wiser or stronger or better. There is one place in Scripture, one place, but it's bantered around like crazy, where it says that the woman is weaker. I'll just I'll read it for you. I don't have it on the overhead. First Peter 1. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. It's all good so far, right? As the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. That is the one place where it says that the woman is weaker. And the idea there is physical strength. It isn't, you know, weaker, like, oh, they're not as, you know, they're not, they're not as strong-minded. Or they're, they're not as, you know, they're so emotional, you know. Oh, they can't, you know, don't give them a leadership role because they're kind of like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> women? No, they're equally capable. Equally capable. Equally capable to lead. Equally capable to think. Equally wise. Like, there is no difference. If you have in your mind, because they're, and we're going to go here, that there's some gender roles, that they're based on the fact that women aren't quite up to snuff. You're wrong. And scripture does not support it. The weaker in that instance is physical strength, which we would all agree. Now, there's women that could pound, a pulp, pound me to a pulp. Okay? So I'm just talking in generalities we know, right? The women are weaker in that sense, generally speaking. So they're equally capable. They're equally righteous. Paul writes, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's no, neither... Uh, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in God's estimation of your status with him, your, your righteousness, there is no difference between men and women. We are all equally righteous before a holy God, because of God and because of what Christ did on the cross. We're e they are, women are equally gifted. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, not just brothers, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Equally gifted. I love the way Jesus treated women. Let's just take a look at this first quote from Alvin Schmidt, who wrote a book, How Christianity Changed the World. The extremely low status that the Greek, Roman, and Jewish woman had for centuries was radically affected by the appearance of Jesus Christ. His actions and teachings raised the status of women to new heights, often to the consternation and dismay of his friends and enemies. 
By word and deed, he went against the ancient taken-for-granted beliefs and practices that defined women as socially, intellectually, and spiritually inferior. That's spoken from a man's perspective. Let's see what a good friend of C.S. Lewis um, says, Dorothy Sayers. And this is great. This is wonderful. Perhaps it is no wonder that women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They'd never known a man like this man. There'd never been such another. A prophet and teacher who never nagged at them, who never flattered or coaxed or patronized. Women, have you been flattered, coaxed, or patronized because you're a woman? Oh, yeah. Who never made arch jokes about them, never treated them as either the women, God help us, or the ladies, God bless them. Who rebuked without quarrel, yeah, that word, querulousness, and praised without condescension. Who took their questions and arguments seriously. Who never mapped out their sphere for them. Isn't that wonderful? Who never mapped out their sphere for them. Never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female. Who had no axe to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. He took them as he found them and was completely unself-conscious. <laughs> That's awesome. That's how Jesus treated women. Read your scriptures. Read the Gospels. That's how Jesus treated women. None of this patronizing nonsense. None of this, you know, coddling because they're the weaker sex. None of that. Jesus spoke with a Samaritan woman at the well. She was Samaritan and she was a woman. And when his disciples came, came and they said, they were shocked that he was talking to a woman. Who talks to women? Right? So, the record is, clearly, God's view of women is a very high view and it's the same as a man. There is no hierarchy in how God sees men and women. So what then do we do with these radioactive passages? There they are. Headship, sinner, quiet, husband's authority, submission. Whew. What about those, Tim? That scripture? Well, there's different ways of processing this, and I want to be frank about it. Number one, you can disregard you can disregard those scriptures, assuming that scripture contradicts itself. I mean, haven't you heard people say, "Well, the scriptures just contradict each uh, themselves," so why would you, you know, give it any credence? Or, or some would differentiate between Paul's teaching, who many Christian feminists have called a misogynist, anti-woman. Um, difference between, or distinguish or differentiate between Paul's teaching and Christ. This is a dangerous place to go, because what you're doing is, when you set a canon, which means you set scripture and you say, this is God-inspired, if you say Paul's writing is, eh, you know, Paul is a bit of a misogynist. You don't want to listen to him too much. What you're doing is you're making a canon within a canon. It's a dangerous place to go. 
What about this idea of processing? You distinguish between contextually and limited, you distinguish scriptures contextually, and you limit them accordingly. So you kind of say, well, that was then, and this is now, and that's irrelevant, and this is, uh, it's no longer relevant. You see, the problem with those three things there, and there is, <laughs> there's an element, like everything, there's an element of truth in, in some of that, at least the third one, I should say. There's some element of, of that you have to read Scripture understanding the context of it, okay? But... Those top, if you if you accept any of those top three out of hand, you basically are saying scripture is not reliable. And if you say scripture is not reliable, you are like <laughs> you are like one of those boys out there in the ocean, but it's been cut free. <laughs> you are without hope <laughs> if you take that view of things. Because we have to, if you're a Christian, accept that Christ's word is authoritative and it's inerrant. It, it, is, it is to be taken seriously and we must apply it. So, we have to harmonize, and this is the fourth one, harmonize with God's high view of women. So, you say, well... God has this high view of women. We've read the, the scriptures. It says that there's no difference between a man and a woman in God's sight in the sense of they are, you know, made in his image and they're equally this and that. But then you've got these radioactive passages. So what do you do? You have to somehow harmonize the radioactive scriptures with God's high view of women. If you take... Scripture authoritatively, if you take it as inerrant, if you take it as, I'm going to live my life by it. So you have to be able to harmonize those two. So let me give you a path to harmonize the radioactive passages. Now, I want to talk to you about Paul's frankness. It's not a word you use a lot. You know, they're frank. All right? To be frank is neither good nor bad. It is just stating that you're stating a fact. Okay? It's not a, it's not a subjective term to be frank. If I'm frank, I'm just saying it like it is. All right? Paul is very frank in these passages that I've read, right? <laughs> it's frank. I don't allow women to teach or have authority over men. Da, da, da. Women must be quiet. Da, da, da. It's very like, what? it's like Leonard Nimoy in uh, Star Trek, right? It's like, <laughs> that's it. You get it? That's what it is. All right. There's no emotion there. I, 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 I want to address that for a second because it has, you know, it has implications. First of all, I, I just want to say this about his frankness. And that is that when he wrote them, those passages, that, that wouldn't be taken as insensitive or radioactive or volatile at all. When he wrote that stuff, women were property. 
<laughs> Women were subjugated. They, they weren't allowed out of the house without a man. So, you know, like, so for him to say those things, we take it, whoa. But not in his culture. He's just saying, this is it. This is the way it is. The second thing is, and this is very, very important. There was a heresy flying around in the early church. And that heresy had to do with, it's bizarre, but they, 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 they taught that, that if you became a Christian, you had already been resurrected. Therefore, you had a new life. Therefore, you weren't restrained by anything, any of the social norms. You were free of it. Right? So, any social norms about relationships, don't worry about it. Anything about, any, any norms about the food you ate, uh, anything about behavior, any of that stuff, okay? You were free of it. So, I believe Paul's being super frank here because he's addressing a heresy that's going on. He's addressing when he says, you know, women must be silent. Uh, or uh, and being very frank about his statements. I believe that he's being that frank. Now, I am not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying he's frank. <laughs> okay? This is what uh, Dr. Uh, Moo says. While we cannot be sure about this, there's good reason to think that the problem in both situations, this is in Ephesus and Corinth, was rooted in a false belief that Christians were already in the full form of God's kingdom, and that they had accordingly been spiritually taken out of the world. So that the aspects of this creation, like sex, food, male-female distinctions, were no longer relevant to them. And so women were uh, behaving in some of these contexts as though the norms were all gone, and therefore you could do whatever you wanted to do, so to speak. But there's something else that's at risk here. And that is that as much as God says men and women are totally equal, he does say that there are some roles that are distinct between men and women. Today's Mother's Day. I'm not going to talk about the church today. I'm going to talk about the home today. All right? Divinely created gender roles are what Paul is talking about when he says those things that seem so radioactive. He's talking about gender roles in marriage and in the church. So let's just take a look at that statement we don't like. I've actually had um, women about to be married in my premarital counseling. I've had people forbid me to speak on this passage. Ah, ah. I'm a pastor. I didn't preach the Bible. I'm sorry. But Ephesians 5, I, think, I mean, I've had it said, you will not speak about Ephesians 5 in this wedding ceremony. I've obeyed. This is what it says in Ephesians 5. Women, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
does it mean to be the head? Well, I know that the producers of The Handmaid's Tale and Margaret Atwood have one view of headship. I know that the world has taken that passage and exploited women for millennia based on that passage. I know that the church has exploited women for millennia based on that passage. But this is what headship means. Let's uh, reference Timothy Keller. Headship is something given by one person to another. The giver is equal to the receiver. The receiver has a real and final authority. Take that. Real and final authority. But uses it only to serve and please and build up the giver. But uses it only to serve and please and build up the giver. Did you know that Jesus had a head? No, nah, you know what? He had arms too, but... <laughs> you know what I mean? He had a head. Did you know that? Look at this. 1 Corinthians 11.3 Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. That's God the Father. Okay? How can that say that? Because Jesus is one of the three of the Trinity, all equal, totally equal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How can they say that? Well, I read it, didn't I? Father, not my will, but yours be done. You see, this concept is so foreign to us, it's so unnatural for us to understand that you can have authority without having inequality. That is a mind-boggling, totally unacceptable view in a, uh, thought in our world. You can have authority without inequality because you assume as soon as somebody has authority, there's an unequal balance and someone's unequal. Tell that to Jesus. Jesus, you didn't have to do that. You're equal, man. You don't have to do what the Father tells you to do. You don't have to follow His will. You don't have to do that. But in fact, Jesus chose, remember what Keller says, the giver is equal to the receiver. The receiver has a real and final authority, but uses it only to serve and please and build up the giver. In other words, Father, I want to do your will because I know it's the right thing to do. So, we have this concept of headship that is such a challenge to us. We take a look at what a Christian feminist would say about this idea of headship. Christian feminists would say this, many Christians thus speak of a wife's being equal to her husband in personhood, but subordinate in function. So many Christians are saying what I'm saying. That a wife is equal to her husband, but can be subordinate in role or function. However, this is just plain word games. It's a contradiction in terms. 
Equality and subordination are contradictions. That is a Christian writing. And yet we have the example of Jesus Christ who subordinated himself to do the will of the Father. You see, a husband is the head. That is something God ordained. But he is not to use that headship for his own will or for his own privilege or for his own good. He is to use that headship. And I teach this in, in premarital counseling. You're the head, say to the guys. The guys don't even want to hear this. They don't want to be the head. <laughs> They're like, well, oh, too much responsibility. I don't want to be the head. But anyways, I say to them, you're the head, and you know what you are the leader of? You're the leader of a loving relationship. How many men are leaders of loving relationships? I'll leave that to the women. They're all so emotional. They're easy. They love easily. No. God ordained that husbands should be the head of the family for the benefit of their wives so that he could so that within their marriages there would be a loving relationship. That's on you, men. That's not on the women. That's on us guys. That's our job. I like what Kathy Keller says. Justice in the end is whatever God decrees. I like that. So whether or not you are able to see justice in divinely created gender roles depends largely on how much you trust you have, how much trust you have in God's character. If trust must be earned, hasn't God unequivocally earned our trust with the bark on the raw wounds, the thorns pressed into the brow, your name on his cracked lips? And if God can be trusted, then gender roles with all God's gifts, we're talking about headship here in relationship, gender roles with all God's gifts to human beings are to be rejoiced in and enjoyed, not endured and resented. You see, women are equal to men. Paul says these things that seem so strong and radioactive to us. He's being very frank. But he's not saying anything wrong because he's saying it within the context of this concept of headship. Where a head, the head of the home, the husband, the man, uses that headship for the benefit of his wife. Never for his own benefit. The world doesn't buy it. Because equality and subordination are contradictory. Not within the Trinity, it isn't. And we're called to something higher than this world. And so I hope you understand that those radioactive passages don't undo all of the stuff I said at the beginning about the equality of men and women and how God sees it. Not at all. They just have to do with gender roles that are godly and divinely created. They do have to do with that. But they don't contradict at all the place of women. And so, to close, Christianity does not promote handmaids. The handmaids in this book, and I didn't explain this well enough, but basically within this 
patriarchal society, women don't have any rights other than reproduction. <laughs> and they're just basically tools used by men. And sadly, Christianity is being seen as endorsing that. And so I hope the record's been set straight this morning. Women, you are so special in God's eyes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. There's truth in the fact that we need to know your word in whole, not just in part, to get some of the truth that is so rich. And so, Lord, help us to understand, help us to invest in this understanding of who we are in you. And so we give you praise and honor. We do honor our women here this morning. I pray that you would convict us men of times that we have seen them as lesser than or patronized them or taken advantage of them or somehow think that they are not as equal. And I pray, Lord, that the women here would just take great pleasure and great stock in the fact that you have such a high view of them. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.